welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Hey, thanks. Appreciate that. Uh, all right, friends. We begin a new series this morning, which is exciting. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to uh, Genesis. Nope. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And uh, if you haven't been around lately, we've been talking about this. Um, we're actually going to be doing a series on the Beatitudes, but more than that, uh, it gains its inspiration from the building that we sit in and the stained glass that surrounds you. Um, so over the next 11 weeks or so, we're going to be walking through each of these windows and talking about a couple of different things. This is a, this is a series about history, in part, and, and a series about theology. Uh, history in the sense that this is about architecture, it's about art history, uh, and really how the church used this art form to tell the story of Jesus. So it's about theology in, in that sense. Uh, it's about history in that each of these windows holds within it uh, at least three characters from church history uh, and what they're connected to, which is the theological part. These eight windows in the back are all the, uh, the eight Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5. So um, today we're going to do all three, uh, and then in the next couple of weeks we'll, we'll focus on the latter two, really church history and Beatitudes. So this morning I want to talk about stained glass, uh, St. Francis, and then well, who are the poor in spirit. So are you ready? Okay, I'm actually going to move because we're going to, we're going to talk, I didn't do this in the, in the, the, uh, the, the, when we practice this, so I don't know if we're going to get feedback or not, but... Just for this first part. So if you want to turn your attention over to this, this stained glass window right here, um, we will, we'll talk a little bit about uh, stained glass as a, as a medium. Um, in the 4th and 5th centuries, we actually find the first uh, uh, evidence of the church using windows to tell some kinds of stories. So uh, I'll direct your attention before we go there to the screen. Um, sorry. This is a, uh, this, yeah, the first one there. This is actually alabaster. So like in the fourth century, they used alabaster and they would cut it really, really thin and then they would put it in windows. This is a window in Turkey, uh, just stunningly beautiful. That sort of art form progresses and becomes what we know as stained glass. In like the seventh and eighth centuries, we start finding stained glass in churches. And uh, like this is a, a picture of a, a window in the church of Durham. If you want to go to that next one, Rachel. Uh, and... As you know, or if you know anything about stained glass, uh, it was really about uh, telling the story of Jesus. So in a culture that was largely illiterate uh, or uh, monolingual, right? So the masses that took place were often in Latin. And so you had these people who were, could only speak English and many of them couldn't read. They couldn't read the Bible and they couldn't understand what the, what the priest was saying. So people started telling the story by illustration, and there actually develops an idea called the poor man's Bible. This is an example of one version of the poor man's Bible, which is only to say that through illustration, you tell the story of Jesus. You narrate the gospel. So this is one, uh, one version of that. Uh, we'll, we'll hold that one, uh, Rachel, till, uh, in just a moment. Um, but this building that we're in here was built in 1938. It was built by Irish, or it was built for Irish Catholic railroad workers. That's how specific they got around here, I guess. The church up the street, uh, St. Saint, Saint Francis, was built for the German brewery workers. I think that church would have been a little more fun. But either way, either way, uh, 
And so Irish Catholic, uh, and, and you'll notice just the architecture of this building. So there's Gothic influence and there's Celtic influence. Like if you look at this window right here, this little tulip on the top of these spires is very uh, Gothic, or excuse me, Celtic. And then the, the way that this arch actually is, is just classic Gothic architecture. So those are the influences of this building. And in this particular window that we're looking at this morning, there are three characters. Down here on the left, you have uh, St. Vincent de Paul. This guy was born in um, 19 or 1580. Uh, he was ordained when he was 20 years old. He was, uh, interesting story, this guy was actually on his way to Africa, and he was captured by pirates, right? I mean, who gets to say they were captured by pirates? You know, that's like an like epic story. Uh, eventually, he escapes from being captured by pirates. He was sold into slavery in Africa. He escapes, and then he ends up devoting the rest of his life to the caring for the poor uh, and to people who were enslaved, which is uh, fitting. So this is St. Vincent de Paul over here on the left. And this whole window, by the way, is blessed are the poor in spirit. So you can see the, the beatitude right here on the right. Um, down here in the right-hand corner is St. Elizabeth of Hungary. She was uh, born in tw- the 1200s, right in the midst of the Crusades. She was the daughter of the king of Turkey, uh, born, or excuse me, married at 14, which is interesting. Uh, had four children by the age of 20. Uh, her husband was killed in the Crusades, so she becomes a widow at 20, and then she spends the rest of her life dedicating it to the care of the poor and the orphans and the, uh, the aging and the dying. So that's St. Elizabeth of Hungary. And then our sort of uh, main figure this morning is St. Francis of Assisi. Many of you know this guy. Uh, he was from Italy. He was born uh, about the same time, 1200s. And St. Francis is most famous, uh, maybe for us, uh, David, post-David Crowder evangelicals, famous for all creatures of our God and King. You know this, this hymn? This hymn. It was originally a poem, then put to music in like the 1900s. Uh, he was uh, the son of a, a, a really, really rich silk trader in Italy. And uh, he goes off to war, and he gets this vision, and he, he sort of comes back and disavows all his parents' wealth and all that uh, he was afforded, and essentially, uh, uh, by his own will, chooses a life of poverty. Um, he, at one point, he goes to Egypt to try to convert the sultan of Egypt uh, to sort of end the Crusades, uh, which is interesting. And this is really fascinating. I found this out. Do you guys know what stigmata is? Yeah, it's like the, the, the wounds of Christ, so the, the, the five wounds of Christ, hands and feet, and then the spear in the side. St. Francis is the, the first person in human history recorded to have undergone the stigmata. He eventually dies of wounds related to that, um, and he, uh, he had a, a deep love for the Eucharist and for all the creatures of God's world, you know, the animals. He talks about brother sun, sister moon, uh, and he, he pens this prayer which actually is in this window. Many of you may have heard this. Uh, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace where there is injury, or excuse me, where there is, a, where there is hatred, let me so love, where there is injury, pardon, where there is doubt, faith, where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, For it is in giving that we receive, and it is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Let's go home, right? I mean, wow. Amazing. Beautiful. So St. Francis was uh, a a very memorable character in church history. And uh, for some reason, by the way, if you look at the bottom right-hand corner of, I think, the last window on your way out, 
you'll see Weston and Layton. Uh, these are the guys who made this stained glass. These were one of a couple of stained glass makers uh, in the early 1900s in the, in the Twin Cities. They, they worked in the Basilica of St. Mary. They did work in the, the cathedral at St. Thomas, a lot, a lot of famous places around here. So they, uh, they did the glass in this building. So St. Francis, they thought, was uh, fit to be the person to sort of typify or be the, the image of the poor in spirit. So let's focus a little bit of our time on the Beatitudes this morning. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 5, and I'll ask you to stand. And this first day, we're just going to read through all of them, and then each week we'll walk through one at a time. So it says this in Matthew 5, starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pray with me. God, as we gather this morning on this day, and we look to study these scriptures, uh, I ask that Uh, You might uh, help us make sense of all the things that are swirling around. The celebration of fathers, um, for some the mourning and uh, the desire that we have, or the loss that we've experienced. Um, God in our world, uh, tragedies befall all kinds of people every day. And yet we come week in and week out and we, we, we spend time in this place and we do so in hopes that you might speak to us. We trust that you are the good God who is, in essence, love and who wants, uh, wants us to be fully human and who you made us to be. And so, God, we bring everything that we are, all the inadequacies and all the ways that we don't meet that, and as honestly as we can, we say, God, here we are and here you are. So speak to us, I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You can have a seat. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to take this this first week this morning, and uh, or this first this first week of the series, and kind of do a larger view of the Beatitudes, which will sort of set the framework for the rest of our time in this series and studying these words. Um, and, and then sp- focus a little bit specifically on the poor in spirit at the end. Um, the Beatitudes, I, I, we have this, uh, this painting up here, which you'll hear a little bit more about in a minute. My daughter came in uh, early this week, and she's like, Dad, what in the world are Beatitudes? Like, what does that even mean? Like, Beatitude. Be an attitude. I have an attitude. I shouldn't. I'm not sure. Beatitudes comes from the Latin word, which means blessed. So in some of, your, some of your scriptures say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Some say, happy are the poor in spirit. So this word beatitude comes from that root. And I want to say a couple of things about the beatitudes this morning. Uh, these are often really, uh, there's a wide variety of interpretations and ways to study or read the beatitudes. There's a lot of controversy and a lot of diversity in how people say you should read them. I want to say first and foremost that this is an unexpected announcement and not a prescription for our lives. Um, Throughout history, if you go back and you look at the the church and how they've interpreted the Beatitudes, uh, the medieval folks thought that this was reserved for clergy. 
So people like me and those who were in the monastic order, so people like Francis or Benedict, they were the ones for whom the, the Beatitudes were, were applicable. For the rest of us, the, the sort of uh, the lay people, it was, it was something that you couldn't attain. Uh, Luther, he thought this was an impossible demand just like the law, which is pretty typical of Luther. He was a pretty depressed fellow. Everything was impossible for him. No offense if you're Lutheran. I mean that in all seriousness. Uh, he was a very interesting fellow. So he thought it was an impossible demand that the Beatitudes was sort of this like beyond us, like the law of the Old Testament. You couldn't actually do it. It only, it only sort of showed your need for grace and your, your uh, propensity towards sin. Uh, Anabaptists, those the pacifists um, uh, in the church uh, history, they applied this to the public sphere. Like literally, the, this was the, the, the ethic by which you are to live. Uh, some say it's a, a sort of a social gospel. It's sort of this uh, ethics writ large that you apply to society. Um, there are some who thought that this was uh, an inauguration of something, that the, the ethic of the Sermon on the Mount was sort of this, the beginning of something that Jesus starts, but that will be consummated in the kingdom fully, and that this is the way it will be someday, but not quite yet. So there's all kinds of different ways that people have interpreted the Beatitudes. I want to say, at least for today, first and foremost, that this is not a prescription for our lives. Rather, it's something else. Because if you think about this, just logically, we all know people who mourn who are not comforted. Right? Or people who have spent their lives hungering and thirsting for justice and whose, and whose longing never gets to be fulfilled at the end of their life. We know people who, who show mercy and forgiveness and are not shown the same back, but rather are shown anger and wrath and bitterness. So we know that this is, it can't be a prescription for our lives. Like, if you do this, then you get that. It can't be that because our experience betrays that reality, right? I think in general, so it can't be this prescription, nor, I would argue, is it, nor is it, are the attributes that we should be trying to attain. This is not something that we should be shooting for, as it were. It's something totally different than that. Paul, in the book of Galatians, has a list. It's called the fruit of the Spirit, right? This is an all play. Do, do, can we remember all of them? What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, I think there's one more, right? Faithfulness, right? These are the fruits of the Spirit. So Paul says, your life as a believer, as a person who follows Jesus, should be more and more and more exemplifying these things. These are actually characteristics that you should be shooting for. You should be trying to be more patient, more faithful, more loving, more gracious, more self-controlled. But the Beatitudes don't function in this way. They are an unexpected announcement about the kingdom of God. Uh, if I were to show up in a couple of weeks and I were to stand here and tell you, in two to three years, we at Awaken, as a leadership team and as a church, we would like to participate and, and be a part of a new church plant somewhere in the city in the next two to three years. That probably wouldn't be unexpected to many of you. We've been talking about this from the beginning of the time when we started in the park five years ago, right? I started this church as a church plant. We had somebody who sort of took a risk on us, right? Berean rolled the dice with me, and that's a, that's a dicey deal. Let's be honest, you know. But they thought, we think that God's up to something in Micah's life and, and that this thing is actually, that the Spirit of God is leading and we're going to invest money and resources and people. And so we've said from the beginning that this is a part of our story, this is a part of our history, this is part of who we are as a church. And so if I showed up in a couple weeks and said, hey, in the next two to three years, that would not be an unexpected announcement to many of you. 
Now, if I showed up in two to three weeks and I told you that the Witham family was planning to move to Costa Rica and work on a coffee farm, that would be an unexpected announcement for you and me and my wife, right? Like, we have no desire, uh, at least yet, to move to Costa Rica or any other Latin American country and work on a coffee farm. That would be an unexpected announcement. You would not have seen it coming, right? I want to suggest that the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, the way Jesus opens, functions as that. That he shows up and he starts speaking, right? He's a, rabbi, he's a first century Jewish teacher. He sits down on a, on a mount, and, and uh, I wish I would have had my picture of where they think this may have happened. Beautiful sight, sort of coming up out of the Sea of Galilee on this beautiful hillside. He sits down and he begins to speak, and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. This would have been a very unexpected announcement in a lot of ways. A lot of people believe that Jesus' primary audience for the Sermon on the Mount was the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So those who are at the center of Jewish religious life, right? And more, most, more specifically, those who are in power in the center of Jewish religious life. So people believe that those are essentially, that's Jesus' primary audience in the Sermon on the Mount. And these people the Jewish teachers of the law at that time, one could argue that the prevailing system and the people in charge had twisted the law and the prophets, this is a quote from Dallas Willard, uh, around in such a way that it it was to authorize an oppressive social order that put glittering humans, the rich, the educated, the well-born, the powerful, the popular, in possession of God. Jesus' proclamation then clearly dumps them out of their privileged position and raised ordinary people with no human qualifications into fellowship with the divine by faith in Jesus. So he argues that when Jesus shows up and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, it's an unexpected announcement and it's an actually upending of the system, the ways in which people in Jesus' day and age had essentially the ways in which you keep people at bay. The status quo. So Jesus takes all of the ways the rich, the strong, and the powerful controlled the masses and kept them at bay religiously and politically and sort of upends the whole thing, which is a fascinating. People say that Jesus was killed for theological reasons, which I agree with, and I think you could add For highly political reasons, people were not really too thrilled with Jesus because consistently he takes the systems and and the status quo, the things that everybody assumes that these people are in and these people are out, these people are on top, these people are on the bottom, and Jesus consistently flips the whole thing on its head and says, actually, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds that gives the most shade to all of the trees of the field. Consistently, he's doing this. So this was an unexpected announcement, not another list of things that you could master, because that's exactly what had created the system that he was critiquing, right? He had all these laws that the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of law said, if you do these things, then you're good, you're a good Jewish person. You come to temple, you sacrifice, you do all these things, and you could master these things, and to the degree that you did, your holiness went up or down, So this is not another one of those lists that you can master and you can sort of, so then you can wear it as a badge of honor. It's actually critiquing that very idea. It's an unexpected announcement about the kingdom of God, which leads me to point number two. The Beatitudes are in support of something else. If you think about Jesus as a first century Jewish teacher, 
he would have wandered around Palestine and he would have gone to all these different towns and these places and he would have taught Torah. He would have taught the, the, the scriptures that they knew. Now, if you're an itinerant teacher and preacher, you don't show up to a new place and teach new material every single time, right? I've often wondered, you, you ever go to those, uh, like the, 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 the speakers who sort of go on these speaking tours and these circuits and they, they come to a town and they do this deal and usually their talks are like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. If I had one talk that I could give and I had to do it 150 times, I would blow it out the box every time. Right? It's not new. It's like you just perfect this one. Te- so I say that to say Jesus has a center to his teaching. He has ideas and themes that he keeps coming back to because he's the same person teaching from the same place. Right? If you listen to me long enough, you will find a center, things that I always come back to. Right? I listen to Greg Boyd a lot. If you listen to Greg Boyd long enough, you will know that Greg would say that uh, uh, what we know about God has to match Jesus. If we believe something about God that doesn't match who Jesus is on the cross, being sacrificed for his enemies, then we have to go back to the cross. Everything goes through the cross and through the lens of Jesus. Anything that we believe about God, that's the center. If you listen long enough, you can hear it. Similarly, I would submit to you that if you listen to Jesus long enough, you find a center to his teaching, and the Beatitudes are in support of that center. That's the key to understanding what he's doing here. That's the key to understanding how to interpret the Beatitudes. So then the million-dollar question is, what's the center? What is Jesus' message that he keeps coming back to again and again and again, that he sort of swirls around, no matter what he's talking about, it always comes back to this place. It's being informed by this idea. I would submit to you that it is the availability of the kingdom of God to anyone and everyone by faith. The kingdom of God... Matthew, it's the kingdom of the heavens. In, in Luke, Mark, and John, it's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the, ru- the, the, the dome under which the rule and reign, the hopes and dreams of God are realized. So the kingdom of God, this, this sort of the divine intent happening in real time, the kingdom of God is available to anyone and everyone by faith. This is the center of Jesus' teaching. So the Beatitudes support this idea, or they extrapolate, they speak to, they commentate on this idea that the kingdom of God, fellowship with the divine, life with God, is open and available to any and all. Which leads us to, who are the poor in spirit? Why does Jesus begin with the poor in spirit? Some people would say that, uh, and, and I don't maybe you've heard a sermon like this, where you go through the Beatitudes, and it's kind of this, If we could just be more poor in spirit, then we would inherit the kingdom of God. If we could just be more meek, if you could just be more dot, dot, dot. And I want to suggest that that is a uh, a misguided way of reading this. Why does he begin with the poor in spirit? And who are these people? Dallas Willard writes this. He essentially rewrites this passage and he says it this way, blessed are the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, the deprived and deficient, the spiritual beggars, those without a wisp of religion. Blessed are they when the kingdom of the heavens comes. The poor in spirit are the people who have egg on their face and don't know it. Have you ever been to a party and somebody's like sitting there and 
they've got something just like, usually, usually it's people with facial hair, right? I saw somebody the other day, and this guy had a great beard, and I'm like, man, what a great beard, and what a gob of sour cream, just like dangling right on the edge of his face. And he is just oblivious, right, to the fact that he looks like a complete imbecile, like sitting here with a gob of sour cream. The poor in spirit are the people who show up and don't know Right? You, sometimes you, 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 uh, you find people where like, they dress badly or they smell badly or something, and they kind of wear it as a badge of honor, you know? And they kind of know it. They think like junior high boy, right? They, they, they kind of they, they want to get attention by how badly they smell, so they sort of like wear it as a badge of honor. The poor in spirit of the people is like the junior high kid who shows up with his shirt on backwards and his fly down and doesn't have a clue. And he's the butt end of everybody's jokes, That kid, that person, the one who everybody talks about when they walk away. When they walk down the hallway at work, they're the ones that people whisper and murmur about. You see, the poor in spirit are all of the people who we believe to be outside of in. The poor in spirit are all of those who, thi- who we think are outside of God's favor and acceptance. The poor in spirit are all of those who we think have gone too far and done whatever too many times. They are the unblessable, the unlovable, the unsightly, the disgusting, the immoral. These are the poor in spirit. This is nothing one hopes to be. Do you guys know about the sound barrier? You know what sound barrier is, right? Evidently, long ago, planes didn't fly faster than the sound barrier. There was an old movie with, with, uh, I guess, Chuck Yeager was the first pilot to fly past the sound barrier. So there's this movie about this this feat, this this uh, this happening, and there's debate. And Yeager says it didn't actually happen that way, the way that the movie tells it. But in the movie, there's this, I think, brilliant illustration for exactly what Jesus is doing in this moment. When you, when, in the movie, when you get close to the sound barrier, it appears that like all of the, 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 the controls and the uh, instruments on the plane start to just like freak out. They start working backwards and they start malfunctioning and people can't figure it out and people evidently like died in the process of trying to cross the sound barrier. Jaeger figured out that it's not that they were broken or that they were malfunctioning, but they actually began to work backwards. So instead of having to push the, pull the stick back to go up, you would push the stick forward to go up when you cross the sound barrier. And all of the, fun- all of the, the controls on the, the dashboard of a plane began to sort of it work exactly the opposite of the way that you thought that they worked. And so as he comes close to the sound barrier, this is this sort of p- p- pivotal moment, instead of doing what every pilot knows would create a nosedive and kill him, push forward on the stick, he, he knows that the controls begin to work backwards. And I think this is exactly what Jesus is doing as he begins the Sermon on the Mount with, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's taking the controls that everybody operates by. How we know who's in and how we know who's out. All of the things that you have to do to be in community, all of the things that you do to get yourself out of community, all the things that you have to do to be holy, all the things that you do and become unholy. All of the things you have to do to become clean and all the things that you do to know that you're unclean. Jesus takes all of the controls 
that we use to keep people in certain areas in our culture, and he essentially flips them on their head, and they begin to work backwards. People would say that Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, that the way of God in the world, according to Jesus, is actually a bit backwards. And I would submit to you that that is exactly right. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom. We're going to move towards a time of response and a time of worship through song and through silence and through, uh, hopefully, participation. Uh, We have a wall back here. And our intent for this whole series is to leave the drums off the altar, uh, but leave it as a place for us to respond. And I want to invite you this morning to think about two things. Number one, if the poor in spirit are all of the people that we think are outside of in, if the poor in spirit are the people that we think have, have gone too far, they've done whatever it is too many times, they are the unblessable, the unlovable, the, the immoral, the unsightly, the disfigured, the people that we just don't get. Ooh, gross. Or... They deserve what they're getting. If those are the poor in spirit, and in Jesus' day they were the lepers and the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the Samaritans, the pagans, the Romans, the disfigured, the dismembered, I wonder who those people are today. If Jesus were to show up in this church or some other church in 2015 and he were to start the Sermon on the Mount and he were to say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Who would he be talking to? Who are those people? Because the radical announcement, the unexpected announcement of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is that the kingdom of God has come to them. All of the people that we think are outside of in, beyond repair, the people who we think can't change, whose hearts are that hard, Blessed are they. So the first thought, the first question that I want you to ponder is, for you, who are those people? And we all have somebody. Right? We all have somebody or something, some category of people in our lives that we just can't seem to say or embrace, maybe would be the way to say it. And so if you were going to come up here and, and we were going to sort of create a mural in this series of who are the blessed, I want to invite you to write those things on that wall. And at the end of it, let's just see what God is doing in our hearts and see who those people are, who we think are outside of in. And what if the gospel announcement, what if the kingdom of God comes outside of our circles. And the good news of Jesus is actually good news for everybody. So that's one prompt. In just a moment, we'll have a time of silence. I want to invite you to consider maybe who are those people? Who, are, who, would, who would the Beatitudes be for today? And then second, maybe, maybe you are, or maybe you think you are, spiritually bankrupt. 
beyond grace. Maybe you've walked in here this morning and there is a long list of people or things that you have done and said that you regret and you don't think you can take back. And maybe you're the only one that knows what they are and you feel like an absolute zero, like totally unworthy of love and belonging. And I want to just remind you this morning Blessed are you. For when the kingdom of God comes to you, it takes you in. And so maybe that's you today. And maybe you write on this wall, I am blessed in my dot, dot, dot. So I recognize that many of you are Scandinavian Minnesotans. And... uh, or German, or oh, I could just keep going down the list. Minnesotans, we'll just say, who reserved. When we raise our hands, it's. Hallelujah. <laughs> and this move is a hallelujah, right? I get it. I get it. And it's a risk by us even saying, proposing this idea. My worst fear is that at the end of the series, it's blank. <laughs> That's, uh, I've been praying all week. God, give them courage. Give us courage. So at any point during these last few songs, we, we've sort of flipped things on its head. Hey-oh, right? We've got a few doing things a little backwards this morning in terms of typical worship at, at Awaken. But if there's something that you might want to write or respond to throughout this series, we want to invite you to write it on the wall. Ask the people who are in your aisle, excuse me, excuse me. They'll be rustling, they'll be moving, there'll be music playing, so it won't be quite as awkward. Uh, and just come on up and write it. So maybe it's a prayer, maybe it's, a, maybe it's your own version of a beatitude, maybe it's a, maybe it's a recognition of where you are today. And we'll just kind of see what the Holy Spirit is doing at Awaken on this wall. So let me offer a word of prayer. I'll ask uh, the band to come forward and... Um, on St. Francis' deathbed in 12-something, uh, he asked that Psalm 142 be read and sung over him, which is a prayer of desperation, a psalm of desperation. And so I'm going to offer a word of prayer. We'll have a, a moment of silence for you to think and consider what God might be up to. And then Andy's going to read Psalm 142. Uh, John will start playing and then respond, however you feel the Spirit asking you to respond. If it's Neil... There are kneelers here, friends. This is a Catholic church, for crying out loud. Uh, You're welcome to use them. If you want to stand, if you want to sit, if you want to write, uh, if you want to sing, if you want to be silent, uh, whatever it is that God is doing. So, word of prayer, silence, Psalm 142, and the ball's in your court. God, this morning we come to you at the beginning of this journey, down this road of these blesseds. Uh, these words of Jesus so long ago, I pray, God, that you would make them just alive for us today. That we would begin to see you and hear you and understand you in ways that are brand new. Uh, Maybe reminders of things that we knew long ago but have forgotten. And I pray, God, that you would speak. That your voice would be louder than anybody else's in the room and that we would hear what we need to hear from you. So, God, here we are and here you are. 
Psalm 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there's no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares about my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.